Hey everybody, it's so good to see all of you here today. So good to see families that haven't been healthy, healthy today. Children that haven't been healthy or healthy today. So, yes, thank you Jesus for that. I'm sure there's still some that are just coming out of the season, but God is good. All the time, there we go. Got a few traditionalists out there. So holidays, holidays, holidays are actually a creation of God. The, the word holiday comes from holy day. And when he started the nation of Israel under father Abraham, he laid down some holidays. And those holidays are powerful. And the power of a holiday still happens for us today. A holiday is a day that brings a story forward. So maybe it's a story of, of a family and how that family started. Or it's the story of a particular event that created a historical shift for a nation or for a people. And so we have holidays. The 4th of July is a holiday uniquely for our country because of the history of our country. And so that day means something to us that it doesn't mean to most of the countries in the world. But it's a holiday that we use to bring a tradition forward and to remember. And so Easter, of course, is a huge holy day, actually a holy day around the world. This last uh, Friday was a unique holiday in Jerusalem because it was a holy day for Muslims and Jews and Christians. The Passover and an, and an especially important Islam holiday happened on the same day. So it's an amazing weekend for the world, but in particular for us who know Jesus Christ. We are bringing a tradition forward. We're bringing an event forward that changed our lives and changed our history. And so in a holiday like this, we remember that story and we remind each other of the story and we ask the question, how is the story still alive for us today. So that's the question that we're looking at. So it's Easter Sunday, April 1st, but I want to take you back to Easter Sunday. Our best guess is April 23rd, around the year 33 AD. And this is the day that this holiday started. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Like all weekends, people had plans before the weekend came. Different plans, plans that were in harmony, in harmony and then plans that were not in harmony. But there were some important plans that were shown in the scriptures. So Kevin, let's take a look at some of those. So these people had plans for sure. Jewish leaders had plans, some very specific ones. They weren't done. The crucifying of Jesus was not enough for them. And in their plan and in their uh, desire to continue to rule the people of Israel and not have their leadership taken away by Jesus... They had one more piece of the plan to enact. And then there were a couple of Marys that had plans. There's a lot of Marys in the scriptures. There were at least two or three that were there with Jesus as he died on Friday night. And those Marys' plans were not done yet. Even though Jesus was crucified, they had plans as well. And then there were the disciples. Now, the disciples were given a plan, but they actually didn't have a plan themselves because we, we're going to find out what they were or actually what they were not doing on Sunday morning. And then Jesus had a plan for Sunday morning, right? Right? Okay, you're there, good. It's hard to see you in the darkness, so I need audible affirmation that you're in the room. Okay, so let's take a look at everybody's plan, see what happened. So the Jewish leader's plan, this comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and this was actually on the 22nd of April in 33. So this is the day before it says, the next day after Jesus was crucified, that is, after the day of preparation, 
the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate again, another plan with Pilate, and said, Sir, it's interesting. There's a new relationship now. These guys are respecting each other. We did something together. So, Sir, we remember how that imposter, while he was still alive, said, After three days I will rise. Plan of Jesus. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate agreed and said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So the Jewish leaders had a plan to stop the resurrection. They actually seemed to believe that there was going to be something happening, contrary to the disciples. Jesus said this to everyone. He said, on the third day I will rise. It's funny that the people that actually took action based on what Jesus said were his enemies. They actually believed it. It wasn't confusing to them. Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus talks about rising, and literally Peter and John have a conversation, and the scriptures say they wondered, what did he mean by this? And they discussed it together. Is this a metaphor? What is Jesus talking about? But the Jews took it as no metaphor. They took it as a literal plan. And they said, we're going to stop this plan. And so we're going to be there to make sure he does not rise from the dead. So that was the Jewish leader's plan. Then the two Marys had a plan. They actually were accompanied by another woman named Salome. And they really had a plan to do what they had always done. These were the women that took care of Jesus. And took care of the disciples. So they provided food. They probably helped out with any preparations they needed where they went. They literally followed Jesus and the disciples around and loved them and took care of them. One of these Marys is probably the Mary in Bethany who anointed his feet and worshipped at his feet. So these women wanted to just be faithful to their relationship with Jesus. Not as enemies, but as friends and as caretakers. And so the only thing left to do in their mind was to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Remember Friday, it was a preparation day. Everybody wanted to hurry up and get him off the cross so they could go home and make bread without yeast and get ready for the Passover. So he was quickly taken down. They didn't even know if anything had been done at all. Actually, Nicodemus and friend had already prepared him for burial. These women didn't know that. So they wanted to go to the tomb and have it opened and love Jesus one last time in one last way. So they were ready to take care of his body. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, that's Jesus' brother, so Jesus' mother, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So the two Marys also had a plan. And the last plan I want to mention before we get to Jesus' plan was the plan Jesus gave the disciples which they didn't really act on. And here's what the conversation had been. This actually happened probably on Thursday night before Sunday. So it's just a couple of days before, and Jesus gives a clear plan. It says, After they had taken the cup and the bread and they had celebrated communion together, they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I rise again, after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Clear plan, one piece of instruction, and when it's going to happen. But after I am raised, 
I will go before you to Galilee. Where were the disciples on Sunday morning? Jeru- yeah, a little confidence. Come on, Kevin. Jerusalem, yes. <laughs> no, you're right. They were in Jerusalem, so they had not really been up for the plan. They were also told that he would rise on Sunday. Where are they? They're locked behind a door, praying and mourning, not ready for what was about to happen. But here we are. The next slide, if you would, Kevin. April 23rd, 33 AD, Jesus has a plan. And here it is. Go ahead, Kevin. Thanks. This is from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, after Saturday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary with their plan went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, so extremely bright, and his clothes were white as snow, extremely white. And for fear of him, the guards, Jewish leaders' plan, trembled and became like dead men. I love it that the angel didn't say to the guards, do not be afraid. He just kind of, go ahead and be afraid. That's appropriate for you. You are the enemies of God. You just go ahead and be afraid. And so apparently they fainted. They were so afraid. But in grace and in mercy, angels say what they always say to God's people. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. I know your plan, women. This is a good plan. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then, go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Wow, what an encounter. Can you imagine? These women were probably, we know that they were asking the question, hey, when we get to the tomb, who's going to open it for us? Like, we got the spices and we have the wraps, but there's no way we can move the rock. I don't even know if they were considering the guards. But before they get there, this angel has the plan all worked out. He moves the stone, he faints the guards, and actually Jesus is gone. And he invites them to see. He says, I want you to experience this tangibly. Come inside and look in the tomb. He is not here. He is risen. And once you come inside and check it out, I say to you, go, tell his disciples, and go meet Jesus in Galilee. One more thing that happens. I love this. See, I have told you, the angel says. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up to him, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is Jesus' plan. The guards want to stop the resurrection. Not going to happen. Mary and Mary and Salome want to honor a dead body. Not going to happen. The disciples don't have a plan. So it didn't happen because there was no plan. (laughs) Jesus had a plan. He had the plan that his father had given them, him before the creation of the world. And Jesus knew how the plan went. 
He walked through this in last entire Holy Week, knowing the plan at every turn. He did not have to respond to questions in a trial. He did not have to defend himself. He didn't have to speak up. All he did was act out the plan of God, step one all the way through to this day. And I love that he was able himself. I, I assume it was the plan of God, but the angel had already made an announcement, and he said, hey, women, go tell the disciples. Jesus is risen. Go see him in Galilee. But then Jesus chooses personally to catch up with these women because they had come to love him, and instead he loves them back and says, hi, good to see you. <laughs> and they ran, and they worshiped him, and they grabbed his feet. Jesus, oh, Jesus, we can care for you again, and you're not dead. I can touch your living feet. I can kiss your feet again. I can worship you again. And he says, yeah, isn't it awesome? Now go tell the disciples who don't have a plan. (laughs) Meet me in Galilee. Now the one question I want us to look at today, because it keeps coming up, is what's the big deal about Galilee? It's clearly the plan. Jesus has now had it said three times. On Thursday night, he says to the disciples, guys, listen, tonight you are going to deny me and you're not going to stay with me. And I understand that, but I want you to meet me in Galilee after I rise. Then the angel comes. Hey, Jesus is not here. He's living. He's is risen. <laughs> Go see him in Galilee. And then one more time, Jesus himself shows up and says to the women, tell my disciples, meet me in Galilee. What happens in Galilee? Let me ask you, what is Galilee to this story? And to these disciples and these women and to Jesus, what is Galilee? It's a lot of things. Tell me what they are. It's home. Yes, most of the disciples lived in Bethsaida and other cities in Galilee. It's where they were met. Most of them were called. Remember, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were fishing. Jesus said, out of the sea, come out of the sea, come out of the boats and follow me, and I will make you people who fish for people. Right? Yes, it was boot camp for the disciples. It's where the whole story started. It's where Jesus ministered first while they watched and learned. What else was Galilee? The place where so many miracles happened, absolutely. Most of the healings, most of the exorcisms. What else? Yeah, as opposed to Jerusalem, it was a rural area. It's really where the story unfolded. And it's where all of the disciples and the followers of Jesus learned who he was and what he was doing. Jesus only went to Jerusalem primarily to worship his father and to confront the Jewish leaders and have those interactions with them. Galilee was the place of all the good story. Jerusalem was the place of conflict. And Jesus is saying, essentially, as you're already figuring out, let's go back to where the whole story started. Let's go back and remind you It's a bit like a professor at a graduating commencement saying to his students, let's go back to the first classroom you sat in. I want to remind you where the journey started so that you realize the journey you've been on and where it's ending and where it's beginning all over again. Let's go back to the beginning. Remember the story because I'm going to send you out. You're graduating from my discipleship class and I'm going to send you out now. So that's what he's saying. Let's meet back in Galilee. Yep, we answered the question. Thank you very much. Here's the answer, ultimately, and here's what happened in Galilee. Not news to you, I'm just reminding you, but it's all happened. Jesus has now appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days. He's appeared to up to 500 people, and the journey is done. His time on earth is about to come to completion, and this is why Galilee. 
Here it is, the end of the book of Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Good job. We got it, Jesus. We're showing up to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now we don't know this is possibly Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon. I would suggest to you, and so do a lot of scholars, that it's probably the mount where Jesus was transfigured. Do you remember that story? So Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain, and actually they were allowed to see him in his glorified state before it ever happened. I mean, talk about setting you up to get the picture, to get the idea. These three disciples got to see the glorified Jesus before he was crucified so that they would know in this moment, when this happens, they would go, oh, yeah. We've already been here. We have already seen this. You remember who else was on the mountain at that time? It started out with Peter, James, John, and Jesus. And Moses and Elijah show up. That's pretty incredible. We don't know if Elijah ever died. All we know is he went up into a mountain, and then the chariot of God in fire came and picked him up. Moses also died in the mountain. There was some spiritual battle over the body of Jesus, or the body of Moses, it says. So there's some very mysterious things that have happened. But on that mountain, there was like the ultimate G6. There it is. There's Jesus, there's Moses, there's Elijah, there's Peter, James, and John having this leadership summit on the mountain. That's where they are. And here's what happens next. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but even now some doubted. I am so grateful for that clause. Because it just acknowledges one more time the grace of God to say, I know you're human and I know you doubt. And even in a moment like this where it should be crystal clear, it's okay. It's okay. Some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in the heavens and on the earth has now been given to me, Jesus. Go, therefore, simple plan, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Remember here in Galilee, all that I commanded you. And look, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the tradition that we carry forward in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus had another plan after the resurrection. And the plan was for those who love him and those who follow him to continue what he had done for three years. And that was to show the beauty and the grace and the love and the power of God to human beings and invite them, come follow Jesus, come follow Jesus, come follow Jesus baptize them, initiate them into my family, that symbol of dying to a life without God and being resurrected to life in God, baptize them, and then teach them to observe or to do everything I commanded you. And look, I will be with you always until it's done. And this is where we sit today. And this is the response that Jesus asks from us. Jesus is alive. He is risen. What's next? after the resurrection. And what's next is this simple plan of God, this simple plan and the simple command, commission of Jesus. Now, my friends, that I have shown you what it is, 
I've taught you what it is to be a woman of God, a man of God, a follower of me. Go make more followers. Simple plan. Simple plan. And I will be with you always until I come back. And this is the response that Jesus asks of us for all that he has done for us. He's given us freedom, freedom in our relationship with the Father, no more shame, no more guilt, nothing in the way between you and the Father ever again, if you believe it and if you receive it and walk in it. He's given you a promise. I will take care of you. I will feed you. I will clothe you. I will give you family. I will give you community. I will take care of you. But here's what I ask. In fact, here's what I command. Go in your lifetime and make followers of me, and I will be with you. And this is, what, this is why we exist as a church. This is why Colossae Sherwood exists. We have two simple purposes. The first is to love each other in this room really well to be extended family, and even immediate family for each other and to care for each other. And I would say to you, God has created an amazing beginning to the story of this church. And when Trisha and I came here just seven months ago, I immediately saw, wow, what a family. This people cares for each other well. You guys are super hospitable. You're super gracious. You meet in community with one another, and you're friends. And it's that amazing beginning. You've got it down. And I believe that starting on Easter 2018, we are ready as a family to say yes in a bold and bigger way than we ever have. Jesus, we will make disciples. Jesus, we will love you back. We will listen to your plan and we will go execute on the simple plan. Not in our own power and not with big plans, but with simple obedience filled with the Holy Spirit. We will go and make disciples. And I'm asking you, church, family, friends, can we together agree, not just in words or in theology or in creed, that this is the will of God, but can we, beginning today, and as we move into a new location, and as we continue to grow and create more communities, can we agree together to make it our highest priority to obey Jesus And ask him how he wants to do it, but ask him to make disciples. Could we commit together to say, Jesus, in response to life, new life, resurrected life, full life, and the promise of caring well for us, we say yes to your command, and we want to make disciples. Show us what it looks like, Jesus. We want to be creative. We want to be authentic. We don't want to program. We don't want curriculum. We don't want tracts, but we do want to obey, and we do want to make disciples. Make disciples of one another, we're doing it. Make disciples of the children that belong to us, we're doing that really well. Make disciples of friends and neighbors and people of Sherwood and Newburgh and Tualatin and Tigard and Wilsonville, wherever you are, that's the place that Jesus is inviting us to grow. That's the place that we as elders here are committing ourselves to move out as a church and make disciples. And this is the place that I'm asking you on Easter Sunday, will you go with us? And will you make some choices as a family? And will you make some sacrifices? And will you take wherever you're at in the process to the next level, to the next step 
in being a disciple maker, not just of your own, but of others who have yet to know the story that we know, who have yet to experience the freedom that we experience, have yet to know the love of a family like this. Let us go together to make disciples until Jesus comes. Let me pray a prayer requesting God commit us to that. And I'm not looking for us to sign covenants or to make any particular proclamation verbally, but I'm calling you as one of the elders of Colossae Sherwood, let's go. Let's go make disciples deliberately, consciously, and regularly because Jesus is worthy of it and because it's the one simple plan he has for us till he comes back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for scriptures that record your story over the last 4,000 years. Thank you, Jesus, for stepping in halfway through those 4,000 years to come and make things clear. God, we were confused about what you were like in the Old Testament. You seem to be a God of anger, and you seem to be a God of retribution, and yet you said that Jesus represents you perfectly. And in Jesus, all we see is grace and power and mercy and love and tenderness. And so, Father, we believe and accept that to be your heart. We accept that to be who you are. And, Father, we want to be like that. We want to be people who are generous, gracious, but also powerful, who represent a powerful and a beautiful and a life-changing God. So we bring ourselves to you today. And we say, yes, Jesus, we want to make disciples. We don't know what that means. And we've had a history of confusion and a history of things that were awkward and didn't seem right. But Jesus, we won't give up because of that. We ask you for a new story of what it means in 2018, 19, 20, and 21 to make disciples in this culture and in this community and in this place. How do we make disciples of middle school and high school students in Sherwood? How do we make disciples of friends and neighbors who don't like you, who don't believe you exist? Jesus, we thank you for the promise of your power. That's the only way. But we ask you, would you take us and lead us forward that we would be a church who makes disciples until you come back? Please, Jesus, help us obey you. Holy Spirit, fill us, show us how to use your presence and your power in our daily lives. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name.